This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. kingdom, we're still talking about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God, it's, it's about ownership. It's about ownership. It's not a place we're going to be. It's walking in the fullness of what God has for us. And I think so many times we seem to forget uh, what God is doing. John and I were just talking a little bit right before service, and uh, we as people, I mean, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the scripture, we as people, we want a formula. We want to know. The children of Israel said, hey, God, we love everything you're doing, but we want to have people that judge. We don't want to judge ourselves. And Oh, we want kings. We need people to rule over us. And then every little thing God does, we try and figure it out and we try to put it in a formula and we try to put it in something that we can understand and that we can duplicate and we can replicate. And I think through all that, we lose who God really is. We need to understand that our God is a supernatural God and he works outside the bounds of everything we know or we understand. And we just really get hung up uh, in what's going on and the way things go on. And if people don't do it the way we do it, if people don't do it the way we understand, if people don't believe exactly the way we believe, then all of a sudden we write them off and we all end up fighting against each other in the kingdom. When you just talk about healing in general, you know, one person has this thing, it's scriptural. Another person has a thing, says, God's going to heal everybody when they get to heaven. Another person says, it's by faith. You know what? The scripture says it's by all of those and many more. And when we fall into one thing and we say this is the only way it can be done, we put God in a box. And we need to understand that the kingdom is about ownership. It's about us walking out what God has called us to walk out. It's about doing what God has called us to do. And the reality is if we stop and we have to understand everything going on around us, we have to understand the formula of how that works, we miss the totality of who God is and what he's trying to do. Does that make sense? It makes sense when we hear it, but when we walk out the door, can we apply it? I mean, that's really where the rubber meets the road. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah is prophesying and he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from, the to- from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, that's a great Christmas scripture. We all hear it. But you know what the reality is? When the children of Israel heard this, what happened when Jesus came? Those who thought he was Jesus said, you need to overthrow the government because you're in charge of the government now. Right? And a lot of them use this very scripture. You're in charge of the government. Isaiah said you were going to be in charge of the government. And they're thinking the government. They're thinking Rome. (laughs) And those who believed in Jesus thought he was going to overthrow the government. Those who saw that he wasn't overthrowing the government said he can't be the Messiah because he's not overthrowing the government. So the people on both sides had it totally wrong, but he wasn't talking about an earthly government. He wasn't talking about a democracy. He wasn't talking about Rome. He wasn't talking about kings and rulers on this earth. He was talking about a heavenly government coming. He was talking about the kingdom of God with the king. See, it's a perfect example where they took a scripture, they applied it to their own understanding, and that's why when he came, people just turned their backs. And just think about how much hypocrisy Jesus comes in on the triumphal entry, he comes in on the donkey, he's coming through, and as he passes the temple, they come out and they tell him, you guys need to be quiet. You're raising too much ruckus out here. We're trying to have a service in here and we're praying that the Messiah would come. (laughs) And people would be screaming Hosanna in the streets for the king and now they're screaming for you. Quiet your disciples down. See, because of their rules, they missed what God was doing. And we can look at that and we can laugh, but the reality is today we miss what God is doing because we don't understand his kingdom and we've put everything in a box and we've put everything in understanding according to what we know or what we've been taught. I got to tell you is the kingdom is not that way. We have a supernatural king. In Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will ri- raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in security And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. See, Jeremiah was telling him, when this king comes, he's going to deal wisely. He's going to execute judgment. When we look at the church today around the world, when we look at the church through the past centuries, has that happened? No, everybody's trying to give their bit. I mean, it's no different. We get upset 
with the Democrats and the Republicans and the independents and everybody. We get upset with everything's going on, but you know what? Everybody has their bent and everybody thinks that their bent is the only bent and everybody has an agenda instead of going forward with the overall agenda. Everybody has to have their own little say and their own little way. And if you're not a part of that, then you're wrong. If you don't believe everything they say, you're wrong. You can't be a part of us if you do this. You can't be a part of them if you do that. What he said here is when the king comes, he's going to deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. What did Jesus say before he left? He said, you know what? Everything that's been given to me, I'm giving on to you. <laughs> and so the reality is, even here in America, we say we have a godly government that we're one nation under God, but the reality is, even our government isn't dealing righteous. Nor is any other government. <laughs> and yet we're looking to the government and we're arguing about the government when we should be walking as sons and daughters. We should be advancing the kingdom. We should be doing what God has called us to do. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3. These are the signs of the end of the age. So for a lot of people, that believe the here and not yet version of the kingdom, of, of that doctrine. It says, this is after Jesus had rose. He says, later when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Oh, no, this isn't. This is before, but he says, his disciples came to him privately where he was sitting, and he said, tell us when these things will happen. And what supernatural sign should we expect to see to signal your coming at the completion of this age? I'm just thinking they came to him privately and they said, what is going to be the sign of your coming? I, I want you to think about where they were at this point in time. They had been walking with Jesus. They'd seen him walk on the water. They'd seen him multiply food. They'd seen dead people raised. The lame walked, the blind see, the mute spoke, the lepers were cleansed. Demons were cast out with no effort whatsoever. And now they're asking, what sign is going to show that the kingdom is coming? I just want you to think about that for a minute. They had everything going on at that moment that the church is seeking for today. And not only did they have it going on, it was going on effortlessly. Everywhere they went, it was just miracle after miracle after miracle. It was the revival we've all been praying for, and the fact is it was just everyday life for them. It didn't even have to happen in the service. It happened on the road on the way to the service. It happened on the way into the city. It happened the whole time they were in the city. It happened when they were leaving the city. Signs, wonders, and miracles like we've never seen or experienced were daily it was just like breathing. It was just like gravity. It was, 
the law was in full effect. I want you to remember that Jesus hadn't even died and all the signs and wonders were happening. And he was telling his disciples, you're going to do greater things than these. See, he was showing an example of this is what the kingdom looks like. It's not in heaven. We think all these miraculous things are going to happen when we get to heaven. That's where the kingdom is. But you know what? You're not going to be need, need to be healed when you're in heaven. There's going to be no sorrow. There's going to be no pain. All these things we're looking for when we get to heaven, they're supposed to be happening here. And you know why they don't happen here? Because we all have formulas and we all tell God how it can happen and how it can't happen. Just like that song. The God of Miracles. They wrote it after their son died. Unexpectedly. And they wanted an explanation. And the other part you don't know is they, they hid their son and they prayed for him for multiple days to, to be raised. Why? Because they believed that God could raise him. But you know what? It didn't happen. I think about Benny Johnson who just passed from Bethel. She prayed for people that had the same cancer she had and they were instantly healed and yet she died. I don't know why it happens that way. But you know what? It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't have to change our theology. It doesn't have to change because... In healing, it was a person's faith. It was a person's praying faith. Sometimes it was the spouse's faith, the father's faith of the centurion. Sometimes Jesus had to get all the disbelieving people out of the room. You know what? There is no formula. All I can tell you is it says that by his stripes we're healed. And so today, even more so than then, today we have healing available. But just because it doesn't happen doesn't mean we stop going after healing. Just because our prayer isn't answered in the time and the way we think, it doesn't mean that God isn't on the throne and God's mad at us and God isn't listening. It means that there's something askew and we spend all of our time trying to figure out the formula instead of just asking him what's going on. I mean, I've shared this many times, but one of the craziest things I've ever seen is a person that had been in a wheelchair for a long, long time. I think it was greater than 20 years. And everybody had prayed for healing. And we were at a conference and they were praying for her. All of a sudden, instead of just praying for her to get up, instead of trying to lift her out of the chair, instead of saying all these multitude of words, instead of anointing with oil... Somebody actually stopped and listened to God. And they just said, hey, something happened to you with a little girl with a family member and you've never forgiven them. Obviously, whatever had happened was totally despicable. It was uncalled for. And you know what? The moment that lady forgave that person, not agreeing with what they'd done, the moment she forgave that person, she stood up out of the wheelchair 
What? It was forgiveness that left that door open where the enemy ruled in her life and it kept her in a wheelchair for a good portion of her life. Now, who would ever think, oh, if you just forgive that person, you're going to be healed of this great disease? See, it doesn't make sense. But in the kingdom, it makes all the sense. Because if we harbor unforgiveness in any way, shape, or form, we're leaving a door open for the enemy. And he doesn't have to go get seven more powerful because we just put out the welcome mat. And all it took was somebody listening to God instead of doing what they'd just done to the 20 other people in line before them. What worked the day before and the day before and the day before and last month and last year. That isn't what worked in this case. See, he's the God of miracles, but we need to be listening to what the Father is saying. Jesus said, I only do what I hear the Father tell me to do. And we only do what we read in the book or what we saw at the conference or what somebody else did or what we did yesterday. That's not kingdom. Kingdom is no formula. We can't speak and put all the planets, but Jesus said that everything he did we were going to do greater. Going on in Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said, at the time deception will run rampant. They were asking him, when's the signal of your coming? At the time deception will run rampant. So be aware that you're not fooled. For many will appear on the scene claiming authority or saying about themselves, I am God's anointed and they will lead many astray. For you will hear of wars and nearby revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give to your fears. For the breaking, part, the breaking apart of the world system is destined to happen. But it won't yet be the end. It shall be just the unfolding. Nations will go to war against each other and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be terrible earthquakes and seismic events and epic proportion. Horrible epidemics and famines in place after place. And this is how the first contractions of birth pains of this new age will begin. They were asking when it was going to happen and what it was going to look like. And Jesus said, at that time, deception is going to be running rampant. People make that into, look at what people in the world are doing. I don't believe that's what he's saying. He's saying the church is going to be so deceived, they're no longer going to be going after the kingdom. They're going to be fooled, thinking the kingdom's all later. We just need to sit here. We just need to wait for the train to come by. We just need to wait until the rapture comes, and we can be pulled out of this mess. That's not what he's saying. You know when he says we need to become like little children? I just think about everything is going on right now in our life. And we have our eight-year-old little granddaughter whose father just passed away at 36 years old. And not even understanding everything, she says, we're here such a short time. But eternity is forever. 
And so here's a child and they realize that we're only here for this long. So what are we doing during this time? (laughs) What are we really doing for the king and the kingdom? We're arguing about doctrines. We're arguing about who's right and who's wrong. We're arguing about the world's government. He already said, all that's going to fall apart. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be seismic events. But he says... The most important thing is the very first thing he says. Deception is going to be run rampant. So be aware that you're not fooled. Many are going to appear on the scene and they're going to be saying, look, it's here. I'm God's anointed. It's there. You know what? There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. We can't just be listening with our own ears and understanding with our own ears. Going on in verse 9. Still talking about the end. Jesus says, you can expect to be persecuted, even killed. For you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many lying prophets will arrive, deceiving multitudes, leading them away from the path of truth. And there will be such an increase in sin and lawlessness that those whose heart once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. But keep your hope to the end, And you will experience a life and deliverance. Yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing that every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, the end of the age will arrive. You see, we're worried about everything going on in the world. We're worried about who's saying what. We're worried about a one-world system. We're worried about a multi-world system. We're worried about who's going to be president, who's going to be the senator, who's going to be the mayor, who's going to be on the city council, what's going on in our schools. And I'm not minimizing any of that. But what I'm saying is, when that becomes our focus, we're missing the whole point. We're saying, guess what? They're taking away all of our Christian rights. You know what? They are. But who cares? It doesn't change the fact that the king is still on the throne. Jesus is still king, and that's never going to change. And he can't be voted out, he can't be minimized, he can't be stopped. But you know what? We stop moving in him because of what other people say. That's not the kingdom, folks. And I'm going to tell you, those are really big things. But you know what the reality is? Just like I was talking about last week. If you need a promotion at your job, God's going to provide. But we're worried about things that we have no control over instead of worrying about things we do have control over. If you want a promotion at your job, are you doing it as on to the Lord or are you doing it according to what they're doing for you? 
If you need a new house, are you just sitting on your backside saying, God, when you put the money in the bank account, then I'll go? Just like I said last week, are you praying, God, here I am, send me, and you don't even have a passport? You know, we have to do our part. You can't say, here I am, send me, if you don't have a passport. You can't say, here I am, send me, if you're not willing to go where he's calling you to go. Here I am, send me. To hear, hear, or hear. Only when it's not too hot, and only when it's not too cold. Only when it's super safe. Only when it's at my convenience. I only want to go to Thailand when they have fresh mango skeins because it's the greatest fruit in the whole entire world. And when they're fresh, every place you go, everybody gives you mango skeins. And I could live in that place. If you haven't tried a mango skein, a fresh, ripe, right off the tree, not picked green, then you haven't lived life. But you know what? Most of the year when you go there, they don't have fresh mangosteens. And an old mangosteen or a green mangosteen is nasty. See, it's the fullness of time in the right place, in the right season, is where those things happen. Church, we need to get back to hearing what God is saying and doing what God is telling us to do and not worrying about what's going on in the world. Because you know what? He says, yet through it all, through everything going on, yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of kingdom's heaven will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God, and after this, the end will arrive. I want you to hear what he's saying when we're walking it out and we're demonstrating, God isn't just going to show up on a white horse at your job site, at your place of work, at your school. He isn't just going to show up on a white horse and start rebuking those that are against you and start changing those people just to show that he's showing his love for you. He wants to do it through us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, he says, Later on, after John the baptizer was arrested, Jesus went back to the region of Galilee and preached the wonderful gospel of God's kingdom realm. His message was, at last the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. I, I can tell you, one day when I heard Andrew Womack on the radio a long time ago, He was talking about Eden, the Garden of Eden. And 
The name Eden in Hebrew means perfect pleasure. God took Adam and Eve and he set them in the center of his perfect pleasure. That's what it says in Hebrew. We have Eden, they have perfect pleasure. And you know what? What Jesus was saying here is that it's time for God's kingdom to come. It's time to go back to Eden. It's time for us to walk daily and talk to God. It's time for us to hear what he has to say to us, to hear what he has to say for our situation. How many of us can honestly say, today we're worried about something. We're worried about how we're going to pay our mortgage. We're worried about where our kids are going to go to school. We're worried about this debt collector's after us. We're worried about what's going on in our families, what's going on in our marriages, what's going on with our children, what's going on in our government. We have all these worries, and yet we're supposed to be the temple of the living God. Do you think when God was dwelling in the temple and all the people went there, do you think when they showed up at the temple, they were worried that God was going to be worried? They were worried that... No, when they went there, they went with the expectation that God was going to change their situation for the better, no matter what their situation was. Right? They went there to repent. They went there with offerings to repent so they could be made right with God so that they continue on in the fullness of what God had for them, right? That was the whole purpose of going. I, I can virtually say that people didn't go there expecting for God to kill them when they arrived in Jerusalem and stepped over the threshold into the temple, into the outer court. Their expectation was never that God was going to kill them. Their expectation was that there's going to be atonement for all the bad things they had done that year. Why? Because they brought the grain or the oil or the doves or whatever was required. But we need to take that into today and understand is that we are the temple. So why are we living in worry? Why are we living in anxiety? Why are we living in pain? Why are we living in sorrow? We're the temple. That's kingdom life. And you know what? We need, to, we need to rise up to what that really means. We need to raise our standards and step into the fullness of what that really means. I want you to think about the temple for just a minute. You know what? In the temple, there was no lack. <laughs> when they were building stuff in the temple, they didn't say, well, we have to do these golden lampstands, but all we have is brass or all we have is lead, and so we're just going to paint it pretty gold and we're going to shine it up. They didn't do that. What'd they do? God provided the gold. 
When they needed cedar timbers, he provided the cedar. When they needed the stones, when they needed the precious stones, God provided. Why do we think that God isn't going to provide for us today? We're so worried about how he's going to provide that we never even see the provision. We walk right past it. I go back to, and I shared this example many times in different things, but somebody asked Bill Gates one time, it was a question, and I don't even remember what the question was, but he says, if you filled the whole hall from my office down to the end, if you just covered it in $100 bills, he goes, if I stopped to pick up the $100 bills, I'd be losing money. He was saying his time was so valuable and what he had to do at that time, he, if he stopped just to pick up all the $100 bills, he would be losing money. And you know what? It's the same thing for us. We're stopping and we're walking past the fullness of what God has because we're scrambling to pick up the change. And God has all these riches and we're trying to store up the pennies. But you don't understand this one penny is really worth 10 cents because it's a special wheat penny with a... I'm just saying is it doesn't matter in the kingdom. What matters is, is what is God telling you to do? And we're so worried about what's going on around us that we're not even stopping to hear what God's calling us to do in the kingdom. And we're walking right past his provision because... We're upset with our boss. We're upset with the company we work for. We're upset with our co-workers. So we're missing out on the promotion he has for us or the job change he has for us. Why? Because we're so focused on how everybody done me wrong. We start living out the country song. You know what? God's going to provide for us everywhere we are. And I think we've lost track of that. And the other problem is is that some people have taken that God's going to provide to a whole other realm and they swung the pendulum way over here where God's going to provide everything. You're not believing God if you don't have a Rolls Royce for every day of the week. You're not believing God if you don't have this. It's not about that. You know what? God is going to provide for you what you need and what you're going to be faithful with at that point in time. And he says, if you're faithful with a little, he's going to give you much. You're not going to win the lottery so that you can go in full-time ministry and buy the church a new building. See, we can't get sidetracked by all these other things. We can't get sidetracked. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14 through 18, this is talking about when Jesus and his disciples ate the Last Supper. It said, when Jesus arrived in the upper room, he took his place at the table along with all the apostles. And then he told them, I have longed with a passion and a desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my suffering. I want you to think about it. They're doing this in remembrance of deliverance. And he's saying, oh, I've been waiting to do this because I'm going to suffer. And the sooner I suffer, the sooner... I mean, that's really what he's saying. And you know, 
They're thinking this is a time of celebration. This is a time of reflection. This is a time of looking back at what God's done. But he says, I've longed with a passion and a desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my suffering. I promise you that next time we eat this, we will be together in the banquet of God's kingdom realm. And I want you to think about this. He says, the next time we do this, we're going to be in the banquet of God's kingdom realm. And guess what? He died and he came back. And the kingdom was already here. The kingdom realm was reestablished. And it wasn't just in heaven. The kingdom realm was established the moment he descended and took the keys of death and hell. The kingdom realm was established. And you know what? He was showing when he walked that the kingdom realm was already there. I want you to think about it. The kingdom realm was already there because all the signs, wonders, and miracles, the kingdom was in full action. When they had to feed the people, the food was multiplied. When they needed money, the money was there. When he needed a donkey to ride, the man already had the donkey. When they needed an upper room, the meal was already prepared for just the amount of people. It wasn't like they called ahead and made reservations. God the Father made reservations before they even called ahead. And he said, oh, by the way, here's where you're going, and I've already prepared everything. You know what? That's kingdom. That's God's kingdom. And we're trying to prepare everything and not walking into the fullness of what God's already prepared because we're too busy trying to prepare and we're not even listening to what's going on because we're focused on everything else going on around us. Is this bringing some clarity? I mean, the more I reflect, you know what? All these things are right, but they've all been taken to extremes. Verse 17 said, Then he raised up the cup, and he gave thanks to God and to them. Take this and pass it on for another to drink. And I promise you that the next time we drink this wine, we'll be together in the feast of God's kingdom realm. When he's telling them this, he isn't talking about in heaven. He's talking about, I'm getting ready to die and I'm going to restore what the Father, what myself, what Holy Spirit originally brought in Eden. I'm going to bring you back to the center of my perfect pleasure if you choose to walk in it. Remember last week, I was talking about <laughs> God didn't kick Adam out of his perfect pleasure. Adam kicked God out of the center of his life. God didn't reject Adam. Adam rejected God. 
but we're turning around and we're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing by what we're doing. We're doing the same thing by worrying. We're doing the same thing by not listening. We're doing the same thing by doing our own thing. Why did Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit? Because they wanted to be like God and know everything. What are we doing today? We're trying to know everything. You know what? We're not going to be able to understand why God does what he does, why God uses who he uses. But if each one of us is doing our own part and we're listening to what God is saying, we can walk out the fullness of what he has for us so that we're a part of that plan. So we're doing our peace to see things change. And you know what? He's given us all free will. We can choose to walk in the fullness of what God has or we can choose just to struggle and move along with where we're at. In Acts chapter 28, verse 17 through 31, Bruno goes, you're going to read all of that? As he's translating it all into Spanish. Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 31. And I'm reading out of the Passion on this. So it's Paul speaking to the prominent Jews of Rome. And in verse 17 he says, After three days, Paul called together all the prominent members of the Jewish community in Rome. When they had all assembled, Paul said to them, My fellow Jews, while I was in Jerusalem, I was handed over as a prisoner of the Roman persecution, even though I had done nothing against any of the people of our Jewish customs. After hearing my case, the Roman authorities wanted to release me since they found nothing that deserved my death sentence. When the Jews objected to this, I felt it necessary with no malice against them to appeal to Caesar. Notice what Paul says. Even though <laughs> what they said was wrong, even though I was found innocent, I'm going to go ahead and appeal because the Jews are objecting and I'm not holding it against them. See, Paul was living in a kingdom realm. Paul was living in a kingdom mindset. Paul didn't care prior to this. <laughs> you got to remember, all the prophets of God came to Paul. He said, don't go there, they're going to kill you. Don't go there, they're going to put you in chains. And you know what? Everything they were saying was true. Every word they spoke was true, but the inflection in their voice, the little things they added, like don't go, because they saw when he went what was going to happen. See, God had a plan for what was going to happen. And they added, don't go. Because this is what God said. Well, God said, but he'd never told him not to go. And he never told them to tell him not to go. He held no malice against them, but he appealed to Caesar. Verse 20, this then is the reason I have asked to speak with you so that I could explain these things. It's not only because I believe in the hope of Israel that I am in chains before you. Verse 21, they have replied, 
We haven't received any letters from the Jews of Judea, nor has anyone come with us with a bad report about you. But we are anxious to hear you present your views regarding the Christian sect that we've been hearing about, for the people everywhere are speaking against it. You know what? People are always going to speak against things when they're not the ones experiencing them and they're not the ones in charge. I can tell you when you even look throughout history, but you even look in modern history, every time a revival breaks out, everybody wants to pick out everything that's wrong about the revival instead of understanding that God is doing something crazy good. When we first met Randy Clark and we went to a pastor's thing up in Loveland and he had all these pastors come in and the same thing that always happens about uh, the Toronto Airport Revival. One of the very first questions one of the pastors said, well, people there were barking like dogs. And he goes, the revival went on for this many days, this many years, all this stuff is going on. That went on for about four days. And everybody focuses on that. But how about the thousands and thousands of people that were healed? How about the great missionaries and the people that were restored? How about the advancement of the kingdom around the world? How about people there that received a calling, like Heidi Baker, who couldn't even have a church of 60 people in Mozambique and then was planting a church every day, 365 days a year. How about when God showed up and all the people that got out of wheelchairs? How about when all the miraculous things happened? You want to talk about out of the hundreds of thousands of hours, <laughs> there's a few people that bark like dogs. And that's all you want to focus on. You know what? Every single person I've talked to that's been a part of a large revival said crazy things happen. But you know what? You can't pull out all the weeds when you have good wheat growing all the way around it. You can learn from the mistakes. You can't control when you hand somebody the mic if they're going to say something stupid. But that doesn't nullify what God is doing at that moment. I'm not talking about you, Taylor. <laughs> she looked down. See, every, he says, people all over are speaking against. Why were they speaking against Paul? Because Paul was a Jew. He was all for them. He was out to kill all the Christians. And then he met Jesus <laughs> in a blinding way. And then he realized that even though his doctrine was right, the way he was playing it out was extremely wrong. I'm against Jesus because we're waiting for the Messiah and he's not the Messiah. When he realized he was the Messiah, everything changed. And at that point in time, he was just as adamant about proclaiming the Messiah as he was before, only this time he knew who the Messiah actually was. He wasn't waiting for him to come. He was listening to what he had to say and walking out what God was calling him to walk out. And at that point, it didn't matter if they wanted to kill him. 
It didn't matter if they wanted to put him in chains. It didn't matter what people were saying about him. All that mattered is that he was doing what the Father had called him to do, no matter the amount of persecution. So verse 23, so they set a time to meet with Paul and on that day even a greater crowd gathered where they were saying, where they were staying. From morning until evening, Paul taught them, opening up the truths of, God king, of God's kingdom realm with convincing arguments from both the law and the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus and some were converted, but others just refused to believe. They argued back and forth, still unable to agree amongst themselves. They were about to leave when Paul made one more last statement to them. He says, Holy Spirit stated it well when he spoke to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. I will send to you, this people will say to them, I send to you, I send you to this people to say to them, you will keep learning, but you will not understand. You will keep staring at the truth, but you're not going to perceive it. For your hearts are hard and insensitive to me, and you must be hard of hearing. For you've closed your eyes so that you won't be troubled by the truth. And you have covered your ears so that you won't be listening and pierced by what I say. For then you would have responded and repented so that I could heal your hearts. You see what he's saying? He's saying we're going to spend all our time arguing about who's right and about who's wrong. We're going to spend all of our time worried about what's going on around us. We're going to spend all of our time pointing fingers and we should be listening to what God is saying. We should be moving. We should be moving forth in what God is calling us to do. We can't harden our hearts to what God is doing. Verse 28, he says, so listen well. This wonderful salvation given by God is how is now being presented to the non-Jewish nations and they will believe and receive it. Paul lived two more years in Rome in his own rented quarters and welcomed all who came to visit and he continued to proclaim all the truths of the kingdom's realm, teaching them about the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, speaking triumphantly without hesitation or without restriction. Are we really in that place? You know, Paul didn't care what other people were thinking. He did spend time and he tried to talk to them. He tried to explain some things, but you know what? That didn't become his focus. His focus was doing what God had called him to do. And what does he say that was? He said, it was proclaiming and explaining the kingdom. And when you actually hear the way Paul, when you read through the epistles, when you read through the book of Acts, Paul didn't have step-by-step -step instructions. He didn't say, 
pray this way. He didn't say do A, B, C, D. He didn't say if you show up at this time at this place. When you really boil it all down, he was saying we have a supernatural God and he's doing supernatural things and we just need to be listening to what he's saying and we just need to do stuff even if it doesn't make sense. So what if the prophets say, you're gonna go to this place and die, I still called you to go. (laughs) And so if you're not gonna fulfill what I've called you to do, then the kingdom isn't gonna advance. The problem with the church today is we wanna live within our rules, we wanna live within our formulas, we wanna live within our understanding, and we don't wanna walk in the fullness of what he has. The problem is, so many times we're lone rangers and we just want to do what we want to do the way we want to do it but you know what god's put us in families god's put us in groups i can tell you over the last month just like i even shared last week there's people from around the world that have reached out in such an awesome way you really realize who the true kingdom people are you realize the people that are looking out for themselves and the people that are kingdom mindset i i can tell you and i've shared this and you know just like everything you never know the timing but you know what prophetic word after prophetic word after prophetic word and years and years and years and years have passed there's going to be a revival that breaks out in boulder people have said it way before way before the jesus movement they said a revival is going to break out in boulder and people will come from around the world Just because it hasn't happened, we don't give up on it. You know what? It has to be the right time when God is going to do it. But you know what? I think the reality is you have to be ready to maintain and to host what God is going to do. And you know what? The church isn't ready. But that can change in an instant. We need to change to a kingdom mindset. We need to switch from doing things our own way and our own understanding. We need to move away from eating the forbidden fruit and listening to what God has and walking in the provision God has. He has provision financially, spiritually, emotionally for each and every one of us. I just want to pray for you. Lord, even for myself, I just pray this morning that we would just have a greater understanding of your kingdom and just the principles and the laws of your kingdom. Not the rules, but the actual laws of how your kingdom works. 
Lord, give us an understanding of what it means to be sons and daughters of the King. Give us an understanding of when you said greater things than these shall we do. Lord, change our faith, Lord. May we not be swayed by things that don't happen in the way, in the time, in the place that we want them to happen, that we believe they're going to happen. But Lord, let us sit in that comfort. Let us sit in that place where we can hear from you and walk out what you've called us to do, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. And Lord, give us eyes to see those things that are going on around us through the eyes that you have. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, we invite you to check out our website or feel free to download the Church Center app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on YouTube and Spotify. We love you, God bless you, and thank you for tuning in to Catch the Fire Boulder.